Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. QLPOR, as it's widely known, features a bevy of poets, spoken word artists, and live poetry readings with best-selling authors. Your host is Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Good evening, everyone. Tonight is going to be very special. I'm joined by two distinguished and critically acclaimed poets, John Gazowski and Michael Lee Johnson. John draws inspiration from his family's history during World War II. He crafts captivating poetry that delves into harrowing war experiences, survival, and the indomitable human spirit. Through poignant verses, he reflects on the unfathomable hardships endured by those facing wartime atrocities, while also revealing the remarkable resilience and enduring power of hope within the human heart. Michael Lee Johnson is a prolific and exceptionally talented poet, mesmerizing audiences with evocative verses that delve deep into the raw emotions defining the human experience, love, loss, introspection, and the perpetual quest for meaning. With uncanny skill, Johnson's words penetrate the soul, inviting readers to confront their vulnerabilities, joys, and sorrows. His poetic landscapes resonate profoundly, leaving lasting impressions and stirring the essence of humanity. Welcome, gentlemen, to the program. Thank you very much, Michael. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having right. us here. Thank you very much. I'm so glad you're here. Let's begin this poetic journey. John, <laughs> I almost, with your last name, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. I so stumbled on you... that all trouble the way. All right. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Again, let's begin this poetic journey. John, what is poetry? Yes. Pardon? Can you say that again, please? Yes. What is poetry? Oh, what is poetry? I thought that was an interesting question. And, uh, and uh, in, in, in thinking about the answer, I went on and I Googled the question, what is poetry? And uh, what I came up with uh, is about a thousand different answers about what is poetry. Uh, there was a whole range of uh, things that people say about what poetry is. Uh, there's one that I found, it was very interesting. It's called... Um, what is poetry? 50, 50 definitions. And the, the, the definitions were by uh, really well-known writers, like T.S. Eliot, and Wordsworth, and then uh, lesser-known writers, and then uh, writers I've never, poets I've never heard of. Uh, it was really interesting. It would be interesting to see a TV show where uh, you would have all of these poets arguing about what poetry is. Uh, it's, uh, I, I, I publish a lot of poems on, uh, on Facebook, and one of the things I enjoy I'm doing that on Facebook is that people will read my poems and they'll say, that's not a poem. How can you say that this thing is a poem? Uh, I had somebody say that to me last week and uh, I always enjoy uh, hearing that and, and hearing how other people, uh, how other people look at poetry. Um, the, the thing about poetry that 
you know, finally for me, what poetry is, is, uh, is something that I, I used to tell my students when I was teaching creative writing. I taught creative writing for a long time. And I right. told them that poetry is a, a, a brief and crisp and vivid moment uh, uh, created on a piece of paper. And that if you, if you'll, you'll know that the poem is good if your mother looks at it and your name's not on it and your mother looks at it and she can tell that it's your poem because then wow. it's such an individual individual and uh, personal experience that someone who, who loves you will be able to recognize it even if your name's not on the thing. Oh, that's very nice. I like that. So as you think about poetry from your heart, what else would you say? How would you flesh that out? What is poetry from your heart? Oh, poetry oh, for me. Yes. For me, from my heart, poetry, poetry is, uh, poetry is in, in, to a large extent, it's memory. And it's me, it's me, me working through my memories. Uh, when I started, first started writing poetry, uh, for maybe the first 20 years, my poems were about my parents. Uh, I started writing them when my parents were still alive in their in their fifties, and I I continued writing them until they uh, they had both passed away. But you know, I felt that writing those poems that what I was doing was I was coming closer and closer and closer to my parents, and it's the same thing. I don't write as many poems about my parents now. You know, I've, I've written a lot about them, but you know, I'm writing about my own life and my family, and. Uh, the poems that mean the most to me are are, are the poems that uh, that touch memory, uh, touch my memory, uh, touch my memory of my uh, my wife and my daughter, uh, and the people uh, the people who have meant uh, meant the most to me. All right, very nice. Thank you, Michael. What is poetry, my friend? Well, you know, I, I'm sort of like John. I understand where, he, where he's coming from. The bottom line is poetry has so many definitions, it's absolutely confusing. But you have to get through that, and after you uh, summate everything and siphon it and filter it out, you try to come to your own conclusions. I'd rather focus, in a way, on what poetry is not. Poetry has no concern whatsoever for duty, for absolute truth. And if you... If you're personally trying to find reality there, you'll be disappointed and disillusioned. Uh, I say that because I had an album of uh, poets that I bought back, whatever, and one of the famous poets, who, I don't know if it's Vincent Bonet or who it was, but uh, she or whatever mentioned something about, well, she got disillusioned, so she quit writing poetry. Well, I think her motivation was wrong in the first place, even though she's a well-established poet. Bottom line is, don't look for reality there. All right? Uh, it is a way of life. It's a passion. An empty bucket you put your words and life into. It makes you cry. makes you laugh. Think in miniature. Organize. Uh, sort of like a work, a work of a puzzle solution. And I hate, and I think I may have talked to Michael about this, I hate puzzles. But when you really think about it, to a certain degree, poetry is like a puzzle because you have a thought, you work on that thought. It may develop, it may not develop, it may go somewhere, it may not go anywhere, but into a back burner someplace. It may come back out alive at a later time. Mm -hmm. But the bottom line is 
you got to put it together. All so right. that's my definition of whatever poetry is. The best okay. thing to do. All right. Thank you. You know, as you think about poetry from the heart and that empty bucket, those two kind of, that stood out to me. What would you put in that bucket, my friend? How would you flesh that out? Close my eyes, and when I think about that bucket, and it has green moss around it, and that bucket is somewhat, uh, as we would interpret it, as bark, maybe a little bit of brown, a little bit of black, uh, the color mixture of a bucket. Mm-hmm. I guess I toss my experiences in there, the good, the bad, and the ugly, like uh, Clint, uh, what the hell's his name, Eastwood would say. Good, bad, and the ugly go into the bucket. Now it's up to me to find where the solutions are at. It's up to me to find the bits, the pieces, the little phrases, the things that come together, that come to a conclusion of something I, in the moment, feel comfortable about. And if I don't feel comfortable about it, I leave it alone for a while. All right. Very nice. Any comments between the two of you in terms of what you heard from the other in terms of what is poetry? Oh, I like the the idea. Yes. I, I like that idea. You know what, Michael? I didn't quite hear that. Share it again, John. Okay. Uh, I think one of the things I like about I like about writing poetry is that uh, it it's a mystery for a while. Uh, you know, I I don't know what I'm putting into the bucket. I'm putting a word down, and I don't know where that word will lead me. And I but I'll put a word down, and then I'll put another word down. And as I'm putting down these words, uh, I'm getting a sense of where the poem is journeying to. And, uh, and for me, that's one of the things I like about poetry, uh, just the, uh, the, the, sort of, uh, the sort of the sense of discovery that goes on as, as I'm writing. I think I like, I'm going to share, <laughs> that it affords me an opportunity to be myself in a sense. Oh, yeah. To be the real Michael. To be the real Michael. If I don't feel I can do that in public, I can do it on paper or in the computer. Michael, any thoughts from you, my friend? Well, you know, the bottom line is this host, you can't do that. But anyway, listen, my friend, I appreciate it. You know what? I like that because it was a gut response from you. Mm-hmm. It was a gut right. response from you. And I don't hear that uh, very often online. I do hear it privately. I appreciate mm-hmm. you sharing that. Well, all right. Well, let's continue. I'd like you both to share with me a moment where you first realized that poetry had power. And we'll start with you, Michael. A moment where you realized that poetry had power. Who's up? Are you there, Michael? You are, Michael. Oh, is that directed towards me? Yes, sir. Oh, no problem. Um, I, that's pretty easy for me, and I don't know if I should do with you, Michael, or not, but uh, in 1968 at Marion College in Marion, Indiana, I was sitting at a restaurant, and I brought all my stuff in. And my, you know, Back in the old days, John will relate to this. I brought all my little books and stuff inside the case, you know, all those things you used to buy at the bookstore, you know, so you put your whatever. So I get this big case down beside me in the restaurant, and I open it up, and I'm writing down. Guy next to me, you know, that blue-collar kind of guy, you know, maybe a hillbilly, I don't know. He looks at me, he says, what are you doing? I said, well, none of your business, really. 
And he said, well, what are you doing? And I said, well, I said, I'm, you know, I, I'm writing a poem, but it's personal. And he said, you know what? I said, what? He said, you're a selfish person. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, if you're not willing to share your feelings with me, and maybe more significant people down the road, you're, you're selfish. You know what? That never left me. That's the beginning of my poetry, Fred. All right, all right. Thank you. It never left you. Never left. When, so, when did you realize, though, after that, that, wow, this is something. This is something that I need to pursue even more. Anything? I don't know if I have a real answer to that because uh, in the beginning I shared emotional poems about romance and stuff and whatever, and I probably didn't even know what the hell I was doing and it's going to elementary, mm-hmm. uh, you know, courses here and there. Bottom line is, though, the Vietnam War was hammering on my back. So, you know, in lieu of that, I don't know where it took me, Mike. i got to be honest with you because there okay. were times where I had spotty poems and no poems for a few years. All right. Well, I want you always to be honest. What about you, John? What was the moment? What was the moment? For me, it was was a a moment I'll never forget. Uh, I was a a professor of of American literature, and uh, most of the writing I did was academic writing. I wrote critical essays about various authors, and it in all of that time that I was writing those critical essays, I was also occasionally writing poetry, but I wasn't, I wasn't submitting the poetry to pub, for publication. I wasn't sharing the poetry. I was just writing the poetry. And, uh, and then, then one day a friend of mine asked me, he was putting together an anthology of poet, poems, and uh, he asked me if I had a poem. And I said, sure, and I gave him the poem. And he published it uh, mm-hmm. in this anthology. And uh, I went to a, a poetry reading. Uh, for, for It was a book launch for that anthology. Now, this was in Illinois. And uh, we, all of the people, many of the people in the anthology were there and were uh, reading their poems. And I read my poem. And it was a poem about birch trees growing in Illinois. And uh, after I read the poem, a woman came up to me and told me how much she was moved by the poem and she gave me a hug. And this, it, it was really important to me because I had been writing critical essays and getting critical essays published, and no one, <laughs> no one ever gave me a, a hug or told me that, that my critical academic writing had touched, touched them. Wow. It was, you know, it, was a completely, it was a completely foreign experience having someone say that they were touched by, uh, touched by this. And, it, you know, that... That, that pretty much convinced me that you know, I shouldn't say this, but that you know, writing academic writing was, uh, you know, wasn't something I wanted wanted to pursue, and so I right. I did less and less, and wrote more and more poetry. All right, very nice, very nice. Okay, I'd like to intersect here real quickly. You know, one of the yes. things I noticed about John is he does not have his head up his rear end. He's very <laughs> pragmatic, very practical, and down to earth. <laughs> And I think I mentioned that to you, Michael. You know, yes, and, you um, and that's one of the things I'm so proud about uh, about him is that, it, you know, I don't know how to say this. The only difference between uh, John and I is that I failed creative writing uh, at, at Leftbridge University in Leftbridge, Alberta. 
but and my English sucks. But the bottom line is, one thing I appreciate about John is just how honest he is, and he's down to earth, and that's a Ph.D. thing, not normally. Not mm-hmm. normally. Thank you. All right. All right. Very nice. I like that. All right. I like that. All right. I like that. Okay, now that we've talked about what it is, and we've shared those aha moments, why is poetry important? Why do we do what we do that we do so well? Why do we do it? Why? Somebody tell me. John. Well, you know, I, I, I like the question, why is poetry uh, important? But I think for me, and one, for me, the follow-up question, and even an even more important question is, is, is poetry important? Oh, I like and, that. Okay. You know, wow, I like that. You know, that's good. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I remember a couple of years ago reading an article, and it was an article about what you have to do to be a best-selling novelist in uh, in the New York Times, and uh, how many books you have to sell, and then how many books you have to sell if you want to be a best-selling poet for the New York Times. And uh, the numbers were really, really surprising. I looked up, uh, I looked up uh, how many novels are sold every year in America. And there are 400 million novels sold every year in America. And then I looked up how many poems are sold, are sold, how many books of poems are sold every year, and it's 1.3 million. Uh, the audience for poetry is 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 very very small. Uh, mm-hmm. And this, when I found this out, it really shocked me because when I was in college and learning about poetry and reading poetry and reading Wordsworth and reading Whitman and reading Emily Dickinson and all of those other great poets. I, I felt that poetry was absolutely essential and absolutely uh, uh, almost divine in the in the kinds of truths that it was presenting to me. And mm-hmm. then when I learned how few people are, are reading poetry, you know, I, I ask my friends uh, what they're reading, and they'll always talk, tell me about the novels reading. Nobody ever mentions a book of poetry, and they know I love poetry, but nobody ever mentions a book of poetry. <laughs> they don't. Uh, but you know, so I'm not sure it's important. It's important to me, uh, mm-hmm. because as I said before, you know, for me, for me, poetry is a way of uh, is a way of it's a way of connecting with my past and my you know, especially with my parents. So when I was writing my first book of poems about my parents. And their experiences in the Second World War. I mean, it it brought it brought them. They were with me all the time when I was writing that mm-hmm. book. And when I do poetry readings and I read read poems about them, you know, it's like they're standing next to me, listening to me, and uh, and, and nodding their heads. Uh, you know, that for me is really important. It uh, it just brings all that memory back. All right. You know, I plan to change that question after Michael shares his thoughts. From why is it important to is it important? Thank you. I really appreciate that. I like that. All right, Michael, your thoughts on what it is. Why is it important? uh, I relate. I relate. uh, You know, I don't have much family and so forth, so I can't relate to that necessarily. But uh, I do relate to the humanness of the touch to his family. I'm not going to debate that. I'm not going to talk about that. That's one of the main reasons I suggested John on this 
this particular program because I am totally mesmerized by his devotion to that. But let's get past that. Uh, the role of a poet. Um, uh, and to a certain degree, I think a poet is a uh, ghost writer of the human condition, uh, maybe a conveyor of emotional conditions surrounding by our exposure to daily events of uh, small but at times large episodes such as John refers to because uh, as as we probably all know by now, uh, the, the Holocaust, we're doing, oh my Lord, let's go past that eight right now. A true poet, in my mind, explores the small details of everyday life in a unique manner that makes uh, seemingly somewhat insignificant things universal, relatable to the private human condition and person. A good person in my, I mean, a good poet in my mind uh, preserves culture. I think that's very important. The more I think about that right now, to pre- mm-hmm. a poet that preserves culture, that's very important. Within the emotional makeup of all, we, uh, oh, well, we bring our words into action. So I don't know. Uh, yes, I agree with John because I'm, I'm a statistical nut about poetry. And, I, I, you know, I look at this all the time. That's why I did poetry anthologies with other poets in my anthologies because they love to see their work there. But I only chose those with Ken Allen Grunsfield, who I want to give uh, credit to, who is a reader of many of the poets. Uh, you know, the bottom line is they like seeing their own work in uh, a publication, but they don't even get that chance sometimes. So yeah. all these things considered... That's it. All right. I guess I'm thinking, is poetry important? Some people believe that poetry is dying. Your thoughts on that? Either one of you. John, you want to go for it? Yeah. I think people think that poetry is dying. And, uh, uh, I think not only, you know, I think that poetry is dying. I, I also think that reading is dying. Uh, wow, you know, the that's world changes. Deep, that's a pretty deep you know, statement you just made. Yikes. I hope I don't get in trouble. The world evolves and, uh, you know, things, things happen. Uh, you know, I think, I think that, you know, I think that poetry is important. I think poetry is important. I think poetry is important to a lot of people. I'm a, I moderate a Facebook page, uh, and it's got. I think we've got eighty-seven thousand poets. Oh, Facebook page. Uh, it's the I'll poetry right universe. There. Pardon? Oh, yeah. It's, it's come along. Uh, you know, it's the poetry universe page, and it's just one of. It's just one of dozens and dozens and dozens of poetry sites on Facebook. Uh, you know, uh, I, I know Michael runs a couple of sites and uh, there are a lot of people there. And so there are a lot of people, a lot of people writing poems, a lot of people reading poems. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that, I think people will always be reading and writing poems and uh, and falling in love with poems. Uh, there's a, another site I, ju- I recently found on Facebook and it's got a, I think it's, it's, a, it's a site on, about beat poets. And uh, I think there are 130,000. Yeah, I think there are like 130,000. 
Columbus Sun. So maybe, wow. you know, maybe yeah. you know, sales are down, <laughs> but there are still people reading. And uh, I posted a poem on this Beat Poets site. There's a poem I have about uh, uh, it's a poem I have about uh, uh, when I was uh, in my in my early 20s. I, I hitchhiked to California, and at one point I. Uh, fell asleep in the desert outside of Elko, Nevada, and uh, Allen Ginsberg came to me in a vision while I was asleep. <laughs> and uh, and I wrote a poem about it. Uh, it's called An Old Man Listening to an, a Young Man Listening to Ginsberg. And uh, I think I got something like 400 people read the thing. A hundred and some people commented on it. I mean, it was a really an amazing experience for me. Uh, you know, you put a you put a poem in an anthology or in a book, and uh, you know, who knows anybody, if anybody's going to be reading it. But uh, true. it was amazing. Yeah. All right, Michael, is it dying, my friend? Is it dying? No, no, it's not dying. Who Talk gives a damn? You know, Talk you know me, the please. bottom line. I don't give a damn whether it's dying or not. Bottom line is, you know, we live our life. Some people chase criminals. Some people's work in correctional institutions. Some people's, uh, I don't know how to say this, John, work in English, you know, universities, whatever. But, you know, the bottom line is I don't follow anybody else's rules anymore. I refuse to follow their rules, and I feel so good about it. I do not feel that there's any competition in the world to me. I feel like I'm just fine with what I do. And you know what? If that leaves, I mean, if that leads, excuse me, leads with a legacy, that's great. If it doesn't, my bottom line is, and my cussing rights swearing, I'm going to find Jesus. That's the bottom line. It's kind of hard yep. to top that one. <laughs> Finding yep. Jesus, that's the hard one to top. All right, thank you. <laughs> what I'd like to know Here's from both of you gentlemen. I do believe that. <laughs> I know it. I know you do. Uh, beautiful. What I'd like to know from both of you, and we'll start with with John again. John, tell us more about what you write about, please. Well, you know, uh, you know, I started writing poems about my parents, and I did that. I did that for about twenty years. I wrote about my parents, uh, and those poems were based on largely based on what my father told me. My father. Uh, spent five years in Buchenwald concentration camp, and he could not stop talking about his experiences in the camp. And he could not stop talking. Uh, I would, I was like five, six years old, and I heard stories about um, friends of his getting castrated. Uh, I remember uh, he, him telling me a story about uh, German soldiers who took their bayonets and cut off a woman's breast. Uh, I was five or six years old listening to these stories, and he never stopped telling me these stories. When uh, my dad was dying in 1997, uh, he, was, he, was, he was 77 years old. He was dying of uh, liver cancer in a hospital in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, and I was there with him. And he was uh, heavily on morphine, and when he would come, when he would sometimes come out of that morphine daze, uh, what he would talk about is the friends of his who, uh, who were uh, beaten to death, starved to death, uh, died in died in the concentration camp. Uh, so I I heard these stories. I was hearing these stories from him for so long, mm-hmm. and then uh, you know 
one day I sat down. I had no intention of writing anything, and I sat down and wrote a poem about uh, his memories and what he was dreaming about and, uh, and how those memories affected his dreams. And I wrote that poem and then another poem and another. And, and for 20 years I wrote those, wrote those poems about my parents and their, their experiences in the camps. And then I stopped writing about that but I think what I'm what I'm writing about now is I'm I'm writing about how to how to live with how to live with that grief and uh, mm-hmm. and what you can do with that grief uh, because not only you know my parents had P, uh, PTSD uh, post traumatic stress disorder uh, nobody called it that back then but they both were stressed you know were in constant grief constant suffering constantly trying to deal with uh, with their memories. And uh, I feel that that the poems I wrote after I wrote my the, my poems about my parents are poems that that deal with uh, with I guess trying to deal with my own grief and trying to deal with my own memories these uh, these memories that my parents gave me uh, mm-hmm. and I, I'm looking I'm looking in the poems I'm writing now I'm looking for ways of finding some kind of uh, some kind of way of uh, of living with grief. Thank you. There's a lot in that. Michael, before I ask another question, yes, what sir. do you write about? What do you write about, Michael? What are some of the predominant themes of your work? I'll tell you what. I just was totally impressed with John said because uh, I know it was beautiful. I, think, I mean, uh, what, what he was saying was coming from the heart. Mm-hmm. Coming from the heart. And I felt it, every damn bit of it. John, I just want you to know I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Anyway, uh, go ahead, Michael. What's the question? No, what do you write about? Sex, perversion, women? No, hold on. Early, you know, when I think of when I was young, I wrote about, uh, like most people, uh, you know, with, I don't know if you know this, but most poets, except for John and a few others, suffer from uh, poor spelling, poor enunciation, poor syntax. I had the same scenario. But anyway, early I wrote about romance, heartbreak. Later, I think I wrote about, well, it's going to come up and uh, something pretty soon, uh, street life, sex in the city, all those things, the dark side of sin after midnight. But uh, I also wrote about, you know, quite a few poems about native Indian people love, nature, I love animals. I'm a big mm-hmm. time animal. The trees, the rain. But it's evolved into, uh, you know, and uh, John, you, you, I can never pronounce this word, all right? But, you know, when pictures turn into poems, it's called E.P. whatever, I don't know. I never can pronounce that properly because I'm just not that damn smart. But uh, most recently, though, I've been uh, involved with musicians and composers taking my poetry hmm. music. So I guess at this time I might even be called a lyricist, a writer hmm. of words for songs. About six or seven of my poems have been converted into song form on YouTube. That's it. All right, all right. There's a lot packed in that as well. But now it's time to hear some poetry. John, please okay. share a poem. 
Okay. Uh, I, I, I like to read. Um, do you want me to read a, a, a couple of poems, or do you want me to just read one poem? Uh, read two. Read two right now. For right okay. now. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna read uh, two poems from my book uh, about my parents. It's called Echoes of Tattered Tongues, and it's about uh, my parents' experiences. Um, I mentioned my dad spent five years in Buchenwald. Uh, my mother spent um, three years in uh, in slave labor camps in Germany. And uh, I'm going to read a poem about uh, first about her. And it's about the day that the uh, German soldiers came to her her farm and uh, and took her off to the camps. Uh, the poem is called "My Mother Was 19." Soldiers from nowhere came to my mother's farm. They killed her sister's baby with their boots. They shot my grandma, too. One time in the neck, then for kicks in the face lots of times. They saw my mother. They didn't care she was a virgin, dressed in a blue dress with tiny white flowers. They raped her so she couldn't stand up, couldn't lie down, couldn't talk. They broke her teeth when they shoved her dress into her mouth. If they had, a, had a, if they had had a camera, they would have taken her picture and sent it to her. That's the kind of men they were. Here's what my mother said about all of this years later. She said, let me tell you, God doesn't give you any favors. He doesn't say, now you've seen this bad thing, but tomorrow you'll see a good thing. And when you see it, you'll be smiling. That's bullshit. Um, here's a, uh, oh, I'm done. Uh, done with that poem. Uh, All right. Here's a poem about my dad. And, uh, uh, it's called What My Father Ate. Uh, my father loved to eat. And when I was a kid, on Saturday mornings, he would make these incredible breakfasts. Uh, he would take a pound of Polish sausage and slice it up and put it in a giant fry pan with about a dozen eggs and then, you know, cut up some potatoes and put the potatoes in that. And he and I would just eat this stuff. Uh, he was, he, it's like he never stopped eating after the war. Uh, when, when he was liberated, he weighed, nine, he weighed 70 pounds when he was li- liberated. And um, I once asked him uh, how he was able to survive. Uh, uh, in the camps when they were giving him so little food, they would give about give guys in the camp about 600 calories a day. And so uh, this poem is based on what my father said about uh, how he survived and what he ate. The poem's called what my, what my Father Ate. My father ate what he couldn't eat, what his mother taught him not to, brown grass, small chips of wood, the dirt beneath his great dark fingernails. He ate the leaves off trees. He ate bark. He ate the flies that tormented the mules working in the fields. He ate what would kill a man in the normal course of his life. Leather buttons, cloth caps, anything small enough to get into his mouth. He ate roots. He ate newspaper. In his slow clumsy hunger, 
my dad did what the birds did. He picked for oats or corn or any kind of seed left in the dry shit by the cows. And when there was nothing to eat, my father would search the ground with pebbles, and they would loosen his saliva, and he would swallow that. And all the other men did the same. Thank you. As I listen to both pieces, I was struck by the somberness, the realness. How are you able, I'm sure you've been asked this before, to muster the courage to write those words on paper, John, and craft them into you know, a poem? It's, you know, the... It's, you know, I, I, I really don't know. Uh, you know, uh, all poems are based on memories. All right. And I would, I would just sit down and these memories would come to me and I would start, I would just start writing and, uh, and writing and writing and writing. Uh, you know, it, it, like I didn't, you know, I never sat down and said, well, I'm going to write a, a poem about how hungry my father was. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. these things, these things just come as memories. Again, so many questions to ask. Michael, please share some of your work. We'll be here all night. Please I, share some of your work. Yeah, you know, what I, um, I, you know, I, you know, I spent. I think I told you, Michael, I was looking up John's works, and yes. uh, I was so impressed with so many of them. Mm-hmm. So you know, my heart just, uh, I don't know, pulsates out of my life or whatever. But uh, thank you, John, for sharing some of these things. But I have one here about my father, and my dad was a shit kicker. I'm giving this pre uh, pre pre picture. My dad was a shit kicker, a boxer, a farmer, fox hunter, uh, basically an eighth grade welder, tough guy. Anyway, memories of my dad. No, it's not really called that. It's called memories past. Now let me see if I can get here. Memories past. Hillbilly Daddy, I settled into my thoughts, zigzagging between tears, my father's grave, Tippecanoe River, Indiana, 1982. Over now, Hillbilly Country, like to blow catfish memories to raccoons and trees. Dog tracking on the river bank, the hunt, snapping turtles in the boat off line, river flakes to ice, now covered, thick snow. Done. All right. Please, please share another. Please share another. Well, I don't know. You know, Mike, I had about eight or ten of them here, and I didn't know which way to go. Between okay. long bones, short bones, whatever. All right, whatever yeah, you like. Prepared. Whatever's on your I heart. Don't know. Okay, hold on here. Am I going to get through all this? You know, I have one here called Kansas. All this right, is one of nice. these poems. This is one of these poems that nobody cares about Kansas. But the bottom line is old shacks in Kansas, et cetera, I, I saw a picture about uh, an abandoned house in Kansas. This is 
How it goes, and I pray God blow it. So let's just get through it. Kansas, old abandoned house, version 5. House, weather, past and grace, items, homespun, surrounding yellows and pinks. On Kansas, the prairie appears lonely tonight. The human theater lives once lived here. Inside of gone, buried in that back, dark trail behind that old outhouse, old wood chip in the shed, rustic morn, no gas, no thunder, no sound. Remember the old cold bend? No open, and no wind, but no one left to shovel the coal. Pumpkin patches, corn mazes, and he writes, all gone. These are dead and ghostly children still swing abandoned prairie wind. All unheated rooms no longer have children to fret about. Cheerleaders, cheerleaders. Have long gone, and the vain old house chills again. Three lonely, skinny, skinny crows perch out of sight on barren branch tree, silhouetted in early morning. That snow starts to settle in against the moonlight sky. Kansas becomes a quiet place. When those first moon calls, there is the dancing of the crows, the lonely men, the creaks of the doors, no oil in the joints. Done. Wow. You know, Michael, poetry can be a powerful tool for promoting empathy and understanding. And you've written numbers of poems. How do you believe your poetry contributes to fostering a sense of connection among your readers? You know what? I think, you know, that's pretty easy for me to respond to my poem. Okay, it's probably going to be the one you expect. It's probably going to be what you expect. But here's the bottom line. I work harder than anybody else I know. I get out there. I come across the people I know. I send messages to the people I know. I try to connect to the people I know. Yes, it's not necessarily related to my everyday life or care and whatever, because that's a nightmare sometimes. But the bottom line is, when it comes to poetry, I spend most of my life helping people that I know. That's the answer. All right. All right. Good answer. Yes. We do have a caller. I'd like to bring this person on, if that's okay. The area yes, code sir. is 336. The first three numbers of 543. You're on the air with John and Michael. Good evening. Do you have a question? Hello. Do you have a question? Hello? Yes. I guess not. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're just, just here to, to listen and enjoy. And that's fantastic, too. <laughs> All right. 
All right. You know, uh, I, I, I'd like to say something about that last poem that uh, Michael read. Uh, mm-hmm. I've never been to Kansas, but it makes me want to go to Kansas. Tell us. John, thank you very much. I'll tell you why. Because there's a loneliness, there's an exile, there's an isolation in Kansas. When I went to Kansas once, about 11 years old, on my way to, I don't know where the hell I was going. When I was 11 years old, I think I was going to Colorado to see a half-sister or whatever. But I went to Kansas, and it was boring as hell. You know, but I saw a lot of abandoned houses. And John, I think you understand this. Wherever it came from, it just did. And when it did, I wrote about it. And it was also um, surrounded to a picture. We both know what that term is called. It's a fancy word that starts with an E and neither one of us probably can pronounce. But the bottom line, it's a picture that a poem is written about. Yeah. Picture that a poem is written about. What I'd like to know is, what are you both attempting to communicate with your art? You're seasoned professionals. What are you attempting to communicate? Let's start with you, John. I'm I'm terrified. Well, you know, for me, uh, you know, I I, I give a lot of I give a lot of poetry readings uh, in uh, in high schools, and uh, I read poems about my parents primarily and their experiences in the uh, in the in the camps and. I, I get asked that question, what do I try to, what am I trying to convey? And I think what I'm trying to convey is a sense of hope. Uh, my parents, you know, with all of those terrible things that they saw and that they experienced, they they never stopped trying to go forward. Um, and that sense of hope is something that, uh, that for me, is, is something that they taught me and that I felt was an important thing to teach other other people. Uh, just the sense that you know that even though terrible things happen, it's still possible to move forward. Mm. Wow, I'm going to comment on that, Michael. Your thoughts? What are you attempting to communicate? Hold on, my friend. Then you know what. Uh... I'm overwhelmed to a certain degree by what John said. I know. I'm a bit overwhelmed. Now, give me that question again. I'll try to do my own. That's no problem. What are you attempting to communicate with your art? Well, that's tough. No, it's not really. I think John will agree with this to a certain degree. All poets are storytellers. Mm-hmm. This is the beginning point to tell a story. And if you listen to John, all these poems do what? Not only are they poetic, they what? Stella, tell a meaningful poet. I'm poet, I'm sorry, poem. And uh, let me think here for a minute. Hold on. Wow, this is a tough one. Anyway. Storytelling is, uh, in my mind, a creation of poetry. Mm-hmm. I try to create an emotional experience or slim slice of life that allows the reader to come 
and amuse about that feeling. Even better, I love to have what I call a kicker line or two at the very end of a poem that leaves the reader in the dream state of interpretation, a pause, and feeling of their own. Wow. You know, I'm thinking, thank you, Michael, that there's so much happening in our world. There's so much that has happened, so much that is happening, and then there's so much that will happen. There's the good, the bad, the ugly, as well as the indifferent. So what I'd like to know from the two of you is, what is the role of a poet in modern-day society? I think you've answered this, but I just want you to flesh those answers out. John. Go for it, John. Go for it, John. You know, the role of the poet, uh, it's... You know, it's it's hard to say uh, what the role of the poet is. I think I think lots of poets. There are a lot of poets. Uh, they all they, they see the roles differently. Uh, yes. For me, you know, I my my sense of the role of the poet is to convey is to convey uh, you know, some some kind of essential truth. So, you know, a lot of my poems poems convey the truths that my parents taught me, uh, and <laughs> There are basically two truths, and one of them is that uh, life is shit. People are worthless. I mean, my mother, my mother's favorite word was worthless. She was always saying that people were worthless and that governments were worthless, uh, that there was no God. Uh, she was a tremendous pessimist. Uh, there was no heaven, and the only hell you'd see in the you'd see is the hell that was around you. Uh, you know, she always believed that you were fucked up no matter what. Uh, and my mm. father, my father was was sort of also very pessimistic. Uh, you know, he felt that life is shit and people struggle and die and there's almost nothing you can do. But you can do a little. And, uh, and even if what you can do is useless, you still need to try to help people. Uh, if you see someone on a cross, his wife pulling him down and breaking his muscles, you should try to lift him, even if only for a moment, and even if you know that, that lifting won't save him. And I think my work, what I, what I try to do in my poetry is to convey both of that sense of pessimism uh, that both of my parents felt and that, that sense of, that slight sense of optimism and hope that my father uh, my father experienced and uh, and talked about. Mm. Michael. Yes, sir. What is the role of a poet in modern-day society, my friend? Well, you know what? Uh, listening to John. I'm very close to succeeding to what John said. You know, this is the reason I supported John over and over again. Because I love history. I love events. I love people who do not allow something to die. And I know this has absolutely nothing to do with your question. 
But, um, John, I'm so proud of you tonight. I just want you to know that. But anyway, pass that. Now, get, you know, give me that question more time. I'll give you it. All right. Right. What is the role of a poet <laughs> in modern-day society? What is the poet of a modern-day society is very simple. Ignore everybody else. Don't get concerned about what they say. Don't listen to everybody else who's a critic of yours. And don't get uh, let them get in your way. The bottom line is your legacy is on your own. You have to create what you feel by yourself. You have to go forward and not worry about competition. Not worry about what everybody else says. It's a waste of time. What you need to do is no, excuse me, higher powers in your life. The bottom line is that's what a poet is. That's it. Mm. All right. Very nice. And by the way, Michael, that relates directly to your mother and so forth. All right. All right. Yeah. All right. John, please share three poems. Pardon? Please share three poems back to back. Three? Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to read a, a poem from my... Uh, my book, True Confessions, and uh, uh, it's a it's a sort of sequel to Echoes of Tattered Tongues, and it uh, basically uh, is, is an autobiographical book of poems. And uh, uh, one of the last poems in the book is called Dear Mom, and it's a prose poem. And uh, my parents moved to Arizona uh, uh, toward the end of their lives, and uh, I would go out there and visit them. And uh, uh, my father died first, and then my mother died about six years later. And uh, this is a, a poem about uh, about about uh, being there with her toward the end of her life. It's called Dear Mom. Dear Mom, I dreamt I was with you again last night. It was in the old house in Chicago the first one I remember the number for. You planted flowers where there had never been flowers. You watered them with the water that fell from the sky. You washed my hair with that water too. You said it would keep me young and help me grow. Autumn came and the rain fell harder and there was snow and you put the snow in a dishpan and melted it and you washed my hair with it. You said the water from snow was as pure as the water from rain. Years later, in your last house in Arizona, the one I still remember the number for, I washed your hair with water from the sink. There was no rain in the desert, no snow either. You told me stories you never told me before about your sister and the time she visited Laval the candy she found on the seat of the train. You told me about your pet pig, Caroline, and how much you loved sitting with her in the forest and watching the leaves fall in the coolness that followed summer. I listened, and when you asked me where the water came from, I told you that I had collected it from the clouds. Okay, uh, I'm done with that one. Uh, read one more poem, and it's from my recent book. It's called Small Talk. And it's, uh, 
a bunch of small poems. And uh, the, the one I'm going to read is the last one in the book. It's called Hope. Hope is kind. Hope is a door and a window. Hope is the silly neighbor child we ignore when we are children ourselves. Hope is the lesson learned too late. Hope is Friday and Sunday morning. Hope is a train going so fast that not even time can catch it. Hope is the brother of sorrow, the sister of grief. Hope is soft cows in a distant pasture of grass. Hope is our mother. Thank you. Can you favor us with one more? Oh, one, one more poem? Yes. Yikes. I've got one more. All right. Thank you. Uh, it's also from the uh, Small Talk book. It's called Silence. My silence and your silence speak a language we learned long, long ago in a world where silence moved the waves and every sparrow flew on wings of silence into our eyes. And every word we learn to speak is a sort of prayer connecting us to all the words spoken by all the people everywhere, ever. This silence and these words invented love. They taught us to whisper hello, taught us to open our eyes, taught us to enter the woods and the fields and learn the meaning of everything. Thank you. Wow. John. Yes. Based on what you know about the world, your lived experience, do you really believe poetry has the power to heal and offer solace to those who have experienced trauma or loss, particularly in the context of war? Oh, yeah. You know, Talk I, to I, me. I, I, yeah, I mentioned that I, I give a lot of readings in schools. Yes. Uh, but I also... I also give readings, uh, you know, in universities uh, and colleges. And uh, uh, to me, some of the best moments of, of those presentations are when people come up to me mm-hmm. and tell me that their parents were in camps like my parents were and that hearing my poems about, uh, hearing my poems about my parents has has helped them understand their parents and their parents suffering. A lot of a lot of parents parents who were in the camps don't want to talk about it. My mother yes. hated talking about uh, the war, uh, and I think in large part it was because she wanted to protect me from the terrible things that she saw and experienced. Mm-hmm. And a lot of parents are like that. They don't want to talk about these experiences, uh, mm-hmm. and so that when I talk about these experiences, um, you know, the people who have parents, like my parents were, uh, but parents who didn't talk about these things, uh, you know, they feel, I think they feel a closeness to my parents, and I think they they begin to understand 
understand their own parents uh, from uh, from listening to me talk about my parents. And, uh, you know, I think earlier we talked about the connection that we uh, we feel with uh, that we create with people who uh, read our poetry and hear our poetry. Yeah. And to, connection is uh, that connection is very important. All right. Thank you. Michael, please share three poems. My God, I don't know if I have three more poems to share. Listen, I don't know if I did that one, did I not? Oh, listen. You know, since I've listened so much to uh, mm-hmm. John's poetry about uh, something much more important than what I'm going to reveal. I wrote a poem about my mother. I wrote a simple poem about my dad. Here's the one about my dad. My dad was a bit of an asshole. But anyway, the bottom line is, memories passed. Hillbilly Daddy. I settled into my thoughts, zigzagging between here. My father's grave, a tip he couldn't do in the end of 2082. Over now, a hillbilly country, like the flow of catfish memories, raccoons in trees. The coon dogs tracking on the river bank, the hunt, snapping turtles in the boat, offline, river flakes uh, too high, now covered in thick snow. That's it. Right. Please share another. Thank you, sir. Do you want to go for another one, quickly? Yes, please. Yes. Let's go for it quickly. Hold on here. I'm trying to push this stuff up here. And I find one. Well, you know, I could give you a loved one or I could give you a summer's dying. But let's go for the summer's dying. Right now, okay. Peter's killing my ass, all right? In Downers Grove, Illinois. But anyway, summer is dying, version four. Outside, summer is dying. And blue daddy between years from here. Here in the beginning of night chill. In the yellow box, yellow window box, the color, the balcony sliding door is poorly insulated and a cold draft creeps into all a spare room. Done. All right. Can you favor us with one more? Yeah, one more for Daddy. Hold on. Yes. I'm going to do a little love poem from the past. This goes right. back for about 30 years or so. Uh, like John, I know something about uh, John that we're both 74 years old. We're getting close to 75. I think when he started writing poetry, I also did. I started writing poetry in 1968, but I had gaps, you know, where I knew that poetry didn't pay much and I had to make a living, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So some of these younger poems were about love and love lost and so forth. Bowl of Black Petunias, version two. If you must leave me, please leave me for something special. 
like a beautiful boy black between us. For when the memories leak and cracks appear and old memories fade, flowers revolving, blossom, sidewalks fester weeds, and we both lie down separately from each other for the very last time. Done. All right, thank you. You know, Michael, I know cool. you've worked with it's beautiful. Worked with so many people. You worked with so many, mentored so many, mentored so many, and you write about profound things. So, what would you share with newbies, beginners, about writing about issues that are quote profound, and being able to connect with their readers on a d- deeper level? I'd love to get on that one. Let's go. Let's see if I can figure this out. I'm putting my, my uh, arms and my whatever near my forehead. I'm trying to work this sweat off. I'm going to try to get to this. Bottom line is follow your feelings. Okay. Number two, be deceptive. Number three, get through your own mental health. Mm. Number four, when you get through your own mental health, Start writing your romantic poetry that makes sense to everybody else. Number five, when you gain a sense of stability, start to write about other topics and things. Number seven, when you get to a certain degree of success, no longer think about yourself as a beginning poet. Think of yourself as a legacy potential. That's it. All right. You know, I don't want us to run out of time. There's still so many questions, but I must ask this one. You're both famous poets, both distinguished, critically acclaimed poets, and you've received recognition for your work throughout the years. How do you stay grounded and true to your artistic vision amid external pressures? Who'd like to start? John, take care of that one. <laughs> stay grounded uh you know it's i love writing uh, i'm i feel like i'm always writing uh i you know, i write i write poems i write novels i've written six novels i wow. i write a weekly column i write a weekly column for a polish newspaper in chicago you know uh two o'clock in the morning yesterday i got up and uh i had uh I had an idea for uh, the next chapter in this mystery novel I'm writing. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I'm just, just always, always, always rounded, uh, always, uh, always writing. I can't, uh, I can't imagine not, not doing that. I mean, I just enjoy writing so much. I, I, I don't know what, I, I don't know what I'll do. I, I can't imagine not writing. That's, that's okay. all I can say. All right, all right. Michael, what about you, sir? I'm so overwhelmed by what he said. You better ask the question <laughs> again. Uh, how do you stay grounded, given all that you've seen, all your recognition? How do you stay grounded and true to your artistic vision amid external pressures? Well, that's easy, really, when I think about it. Number one, Michael, some of this may apply to you I don't get worried about anybody else's opinion about jack shit. I reached a point in my own life 
where I've decided that I'm okay with me. And if nobody else decides to go that way, you know what? Uh, goodbye. And, and, and maybe in terms of uh, publishing sites, I'll replace you with two other uh, poetry sites that will take me someplace. Bottom line is I'm 75 years old. I don't have much time for that pissing around anymore. And you know what? But I don't think you, nor do I think John, has any more time for that. So the bottom line is we need to feel our legacy within ourselves the best we know how to. And is it a myth? It could very well be a total myth. But the bottom line is we have to follow how our mm. feelings take us. Wow. Yeah. That's it. It's really simple, really, when you think about it. You know, it's really simple because John and I and Michael, you're a little bit younger, but the bottom line is I don't give a damn. I'm out there. I'm going to push. I'm going to do the best I can. And you know what? For the chips fall, the chips are going to fall. But you know what? I'm going to go out there and help every person I can find to follow me. You know why? Because those people that follow me are much more important in honesty than I am. Than I am. Powerful. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I think you've both answered my question about the human experience in terms of what your work conveys. But what I would like to know, though, is in today's digital age, how do you feel about the change in landscape of poetry and its accessibility to a wider audience through these different platforms? Because things have changed in terms of writing and publishing and being out there. Zoom changed the world. Either one of you. You get on this one. Go for it, John. <laughs> <laughs> I love I'm, just, I'm laughing at the question. Uh, yeah, it's it's really it's and I think you really you know, sort of understand how much I like this guy, John. You guys do understand that, right? <laughs> I think he's wonderful. I think not only I think do I think he's wonderful, I think he's living some historic information that's very important to the rest of the world. And I call that a legacy. And I think John will be there with what he has done. I'm mm, sorry. Thank you. Thank you. Very nice, Michael. Very nice. I mean it. Thank you. Yeah, I know you do. Yeah. Your thoughts, John? Oh, digital you know, age. about the, yeah, the digital stuff. I think, you know, I, I really think it, it's changed considerably, and it, and it changed during the pandemic. When uh, so much of the uh, so much of the poetry moved into uh, virtual poetry readings, uh, you know, I I was doing poet readings in Chicago in the '60s, and you know, you do them in these small clubs. And uh, before the pandemic hit, and before people started zooming, you know, I was doing uh, I was doing a, a reading a reading uh, about once a month. I was doing a reading either in some school or. Uh, some church people were inviting me to come and read, and and that's the way I was communicating poetry uh, and communicating my poems. 
And all of that changed with the pandemic and, and virtual readings. And, uh, you know, I personally, I don't feel the same kind of connection. I shouldn't say this. I'll never be invited to another Zoom. Uh, but I don't feel, I probably don't feel not. the same kind of uh, probably not. You know, like last week, I, I did a Zoom. I did a Zoom uh, with Neil uh, Crichton, uh, an, an Australian poet. I did a Zoom. I think it was last last week. Yeah, last week uh, Friday, and then two days later, I did a I did a, 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 a live uh, an actual reading at a Unitarian church here in Lynchburg, and you know the difference between those things are just amazing uh the zoom the zoom went really well all right hello are you there john can you hear me i'm sorry uh we lost you for a while you said the zoom went really well but we didn't hear anything after that i didn't lose anything yeah the, the zoom the zoom the Zoom went well, but uh, you don't feel the same kind of connection with people uh, in a Zoom as you do with a, uh, a real reading, uh, uh, an actual reading. I, I read at that Unitarian Church, and I, I stood around for another two hours after the reading talking to people about, uh, about uh, the poems I read. Uh, and uh, it, it was a much, a much, more, uh, uh, much more communal sort of experience than the Zoom. That's all, right. all I've got to say about Zooms. All right. Thank you. Michael, you. Social media. How does it change the world? Change poetry? You know what? I'm not looking at the uh, eight or nine uh, questions she sent me to respond to this. So mm-hmm. what's that question again? I'm going to give you a blowout. Well, it's primarily the digital age. Things have changed so much in terms of its impact on poetry. How do you feel about it? The good thing is it allows poetry, batches of poems. When I say batches of poems, I think John relates to this. When we put together poems for submission to poetry uh, publishers, we put three to four poems in a batch with our bio at the top. We send it out. And there are email submissions that accept our poems, and there are submissible of managers that accept our poems, they're a pain in the ass. But the bottom line is, it's a different world. And you know what? I, you know what? I've learned that I have to change to what's going on, but I find it every tooth and nail. Because the bottom line is, whenever I run across a, an editor who's submissible, they're doing it for themselves. They're doing it for their own convenience. But what they forget is, I'm one a poet, two, an editor, three, a publisher. And you know what? I've done it all for free, just like them. So when I see these $3 charges, et cetera, I'm really pissed off about that on a personal level. Yeah, Yeah, me too. What pisses you off, John? What pisses you off? Oh, the same thing. The the whole uh, $3 charge for uh, submissions uh, uh, I find that outrageous and uh, I will not submit to a I will not submit to a magazine or a, a journal that'll uh, that requires some kind of uh, 
some kind of uh, submission see like that. I just won't do it. Uh, it, it, it. I just consider it silly. All right. You know what? Let, let's comment on that. That's important, actually. That's mm-hmm. a trend going on right now between gays and damn things and other crazy shit with Biden's uh, damn agenda that we have to live with this crap. But the bottom line is I will not submit to a place that requires $3 fees. And you know what? It's not that big of a fee because I sort of understand where they're coming from. But the bottom line is they're not paying anything for me. They're not paying anything for my publication. Mm -hmm. I get pissed off about that. I'm going to need to invite both of you back. We're going to run out of time, but I need to ask this question before we go. <laughs> okay. Well, we both nice. back. <laughs> Here we go. What have you both learned about yourselves by being a poet or from being a poet? What have you learned about yourself? Did you uh, say Michael, what did you go first? Your... Yes. What have Hold you learned on. about you yourself? That's easy. Yes. Um, I'll get right to the point here. Bottom line is I've had published three poetry anthologies. I made money with all three of them. Mm -hmm. I'm going to wing it out to the first one, eh, 800. The second one, 1,500. The third one, 500. But what happens here is that it does not compensate for, oh, my God, I can't get in all this. The time that is uh, required of proofs, the time is required to send them to poets, the time is required on and on and on. When I figured it all out, I was looking to make 75 cents an hour, all right? Mm-hmm. When I did T-shirts, custom imprinted, which I do for a business, I made 310, 320 uh, T-shirts. I made maybe $1,000. I've made more than I ever did with publishing poetry. But you know what? Here's the bottom line, and I'm sure John knows this. It's called an extension of love. Mm. Yeah. All right. All right. John, you, what have you learned about yourself being a poet? Oh, what I learned about myself is that I I love writing. Um, Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I would would spend... I, I, I would write even if I didn't have a pencil and a piece of paper or a computer. I would still somehow find a, a way to write. Um, it's just a lot of pleasure. Uh, I like sitting down. I like um, you know, thinking about words. It's a, it's a pleasure for me. Wow. Very last thing. Michael, where do you go from here? What's next for you creatively? That's right. What was that? What's next for you creatively? Where do you go from here? Where do I go from here? Yes. Um, you know, I don't know. This is sort of a private statement. But um, I'm still trying to work on two or three poetry books to try to get them out there before God comes along and uh, whispers my way. Bottom line is, that's my goal. Um, you know what? You know, everyday living right now, uh, quite candidly, is a problem because I, uh, I'm t- trying to recover from an accident. It's really difficult. Other than that, I don't want to get involved in all that. Uh, you know, John, what's going on with you? Are you there, John? 
Yeah, I'm here. I'm sorry. I didn't hear that last part. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> where do you go from here? What's next for you creatively? Oh, where do I go from here? I'm working mm-hmm. on a book called 102 Doors. And it's a book of it's a book of 102 poems about doors. And uh I found I I spend a lot of time on Twitter writing uh you know writing things on Twitter and I was looking at my poems on Twitter one day. And I realized that I was writing poems about the doors. I kept talking about doors and doors and doors. And, uh, and I thought, well, I should put together all of these doors and see if I can get a book of poems uh, out of it. And, uh, and that's what I'm working on. I've got, I'm work, I want to write 102 poems about doors. I'm at, I think I'm 43 poems into it. I've got 43 door poems. And I've got, uh, what's 143? I've got 60. 60, you know, 59 more poems to write. All right. That's all right. All right. All right. Thank you. Well, I want to thank you both for joining me for this hour of questions and some poetry. I'd like to invite you back when there be less questions and all poetry. So thank oh, you both. Happy to come. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. All right. To the listening audience, as I share with you every time we're together. Let poetry ring somewhere throughout the land. Good night, everybody. Take care. God bless you. Good night. Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio is available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also check out the website at qlpor.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.